Hi, welcome to New Hope Community Church Online. The sermon you are about to hear was originally given by Pastor Chuck Wilson. New Hope Community Church, to know, to live, and to share Jesus Christ. The title for today is Jesus Anointed for Death. It's Jesus Anointed for Death Part 2, as you'll see, but we'll talk about that in just a minute. We're in Mark 14, and we're also, if you want to turn to John chapter 12 also, we're going to be bouncing back and forth just like we did last week with that. Now, you've all heard of the Last Supper, the Last Supper. Well, just before it, and a lot of people don't realize it was Jesus' last party, Jesus' last party, and it was in his honor, and what a party it was. If you weren't here last week, get the CD, go to the podcast, um, YouTube, because it was quite a party, and we just started it last week. It was really a zombie party. It was a zombie party. Uh, there was a guy who threw it was a rotting leper, you know, he was a walking zombie, he was a rotting leper that Jesus had healed. What was his name? Nobody remembers his name already? Simon, thank you. Simon the leper. And one of the celebrity guests, Jesus was the guest of honor, but there was a celebrity guest who was once a rotten, rotting corpse. He was a rotting corpse, but Jesus brought him back to life. He was Lazarus, right, Lazarus. So what a party. We talked about that. We talked about Martha. And now we come to the really wild part of the party. This is when a glass gets broken, something gets spilled on somebody, and a fight breaks out. Hopefully you haven't been at a party like that lately, but you might remember some parties like that. And so this is, the, the party gets wild today. It goes from a zombie party to an all-out party, and we're just going to have some fun with this passage. Let's pray first. Father, we thank you for the worship. We thank you for bringing each one of us to be here. We know you have a purpose from your word for us and through your spirit, and we pray for your mercy and grace to speak to us now. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, well, let's read it again in case you missed it all last week. Mark 14, 1 through 11. Now the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread were only two days away, and the chief priests and the teachers of the law were looking for some way to arrest, sly way to arrest Jesus and kill him. But not during the feast, they said, or the people may riot. While he was in Bethany reclining at the table in the home of a man known as Simon the leper, a woman came with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume made of pure nard. She broke the jar and poured the perfume on his head. Some of those present were saying indignantly to one another, Why this waste of perfume? It could have been sold for more than a year's wages and the money given to the poor, and they rebuked her harshly. Leave her alone, said Jesus. Why are you bothering her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you will always have with you, and you can help them anytime you want. But you will not always have me. She did what she could. She poured perfume on my body beforehand to prepare for my burial. I tell you the truth, wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. Then Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve, went to the chief priest to betray Jesus to them. They were delighted to hear this and promised to give him money. So he watched for an opportunity to hand him over. Then the parallel passage, and once again, each gospel writer brings out different aspects of the story for the purpose as the Holy Spirit leads them. And John, I'm going to read this one too, John chapter 12, verse 1. Six days before the Passover, Jesus arrived at Bethany, where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Here a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Martha served while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. Then Mary took about a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with a 
fragrance of the perfume. But one of the disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Leave her alone, Jesus replied. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. Meanwhile, a large crowd of Jews found out that Jesus was there and came not only because of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. So the chief priests made plans to kill Lazarus as well. For on account of him, many of the Jews were going over to Jesus and putting their faith in him. Once again, if you weren't here last week, wow, it was a wild one. We already covered Simon the leper, we covered Martha, we covered Lazarus, get the CD, podcast, whatever. But today we're going to go right into talking about Mary. Mary. In Mark 14, 3, while he was at in Bethany, reclining at the table of home, in the home of a man known as Simon the leper, a woman came with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume made of pure nard. She broke the jar and poured the perfume on his head. John 12, 3, then Mary took about a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume, and she poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. So Mark says a woman anointed Jesus. John tells us it was Mary, Martha and Lazarus' sister, Mary. Mark says she anointed his head, but John focuses on the anointing of his feet. She anointed Jesus from head to toe. Head to toe. That's why in Mark 14, 8, which we read a few moments ago, it said she poured perfume on my body to prepare it for burial. Uh, his entire body was, was, was anointed from the head to his feet. And Mary is named three times in the Gospels. Three different times we see Mary named. Luke 10, 8, 38, John eleven thirty two, and now here in John 12, 3. And guess where we find her each and every time? At Jesus' feet. She's always at Jesus' feet. And she anoints Jesus with pure nard. It was imported from India. It said it filled the house with fragrance. It reminded, when I was looking at this, it reminded me yesterday, I opened up the, the door of our house and the wind was blowing into the house and all I smelled were lilacs. So we have these two big lilac bushes and they finally got warm enough to start to blossom. And it was just wild, just opening the door and just like this whoosh of lilac, which I just love. And... Uh, I just was like, that's probably what this experience was when she anointed Jesus. This, the, the house was just the fragrance that came in there. The nard was imported from India, as I mentioned. Very, very expensive. It was a year's wages. Think about what you make in a year. That's what she dumped on Jesus. She just broke the bottle and poured it out. A year's wages. I mean, think about that. That's crazy, right? What does this say about Mary? Love and devotion. Love and devotion. And also, usually when you anointed somebody, where did you anoint? Just the head. King David be anointed by Samuel. You know, it's just the head. But she includes the feet. Why would she include Jesus' feet? Why would John make such a point of what she did with his feet? Because... First of all, it showed her humility. Her humility, she's always at the feet of Jesus. And also, washing the feet, what does that show? Servanthood, that's right. It shows her servanthood, her humility and her servanthood. 
Remember the story of Jesus washing the, the disciples' feet? Nobody would do it. And here she is, not just washing his feet, but she wipes his feet with her hair. This is a, a, a shocking thing. Tuss, oh, that's a big deal. We live in America, you know, but USA Today. But at that time, this, in, in this society, that would be considered very unrespectable for a woman to rub a man's feet with her hair. Shocking. But she loved Jesus so much. She didn't care what anyone thought of her. She didn't care. She became completely unrespectable in society to show her love for Jesus. And I really believe it's connected to 1 Corinthians 11, 14 and 15. And 1 Corinthians 11, why she used her hair, 1 Corinthians 11, 14 and 15 says, Does not the very nature of things teach you that if a man has long hair, it is a disgrace to him, but that if a woman has long hair, it is her glory? For long hair is given to her as a covering. The, the hair is a woman's glory. Mary's hair was her glory. So many people today use their hair and their looks and their gifts for their own glory, right? And the world, we use it for worldly glory. But Mary used her glory to glorify Jesus. That's what she used it for. Her glory for that. And Mary's act was one of pure worship. She gave Jesus her very best. She gave him her her love, she gave him her glory, and she gave him her most valuable possession. But there's nothing more valuable in that house than what she poured on Jesus. And look what happens next. And this is a very important lesson for each one of us. Expect this. If you love Jesus, if you show your love for Jesus, if you show the love of Christ to other people, expect something. It's not what, you would, not what we would think we should expect, but it is what we get. Mark 14, verses 4 and 5. Some of those who present were saying indignantly to one another, why this waste of perfume? It could have been sold for more than a year's wages and the money given to the poor, and they rebuked her harshly. They rebuked her harshly. Now we all know Judas is the bad guy, right? He's this, this, this terrible guy who's ripping on Mary. Poor, you know, poor Mary, and that, Judas is evil. But, oh, wait, hold on. Some of the, it says some of those present did this. Matthew 26, 8 tells us who was involved in this. When the disciples saw this, they were indignant. Why this waste, they asked. They were the ones who, back to Mark 14, 4 and 5, they were the ones who were, were, uh, were some, of, some of those present were the disciples. They were the ones back in Mark, Mark 14, 4 and 5, where it says they rebuked her. The disciples did this. The twelve. They rebuked her. The word in Greek for rebuke actually means snorted at her. Like a horse. <clears throat> you know, snorting a mad... You ever see a mad horse? You don't want to see a mad horse up close, believe me. But anyway, they... You know, they, they, you, know, they you know, they just give them that... They were, they were just like really cruel. They didn't just mention it, but they snorted at her. But Judas is the ringleader. That's why John focuses on Judas in back to John chapter 12. In John chapter 12, Judas focuses because he was the ringleader, obviously. And in verses 4 to 6, it says this. 
But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year wages. He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Judas the thief. The first recorded words of Judas. Did you know that? These are the first recorded words of Judas in the Bible. And what do they expose? His heart and his motives. He was a thief and an embezzler. He says it's worth a year wages. The actual wording is 300 denarii. A denarii a day was typical pay for a typical person at that time. So that's why they use the word year's wages. He was just in it for the money. He's like these word of faith scam preachers on TV that are scamming people out of their money all the time. These, these you know, guys talking about how you've got to be healthy and wealthy and just send them enough money and you will be wealthy and healthy like they are and you can fly a jet like they fly it, right? They're just scam artists. Don't listen to them. It's garbage. But he was just in it for the money, but he realized something. I'm never going to get rich following this guy. <laughs> he didn't care about money, this Jesus guy. We finally get a lot of money and he pours it down the drain, right? And so I'm going to have to do what I can and, and, and get what I can and cut my losses. And that's why in Mark 14, 10 and 11, that's where it comes back with why he, he takes that next step when he says, Then Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve, went to the chief priest to betray Jesus to them. They were delighted to hear this and promised to give him money. So he watched for an opportunity to hand him over. We're going to see that in a very short time, what he does. He ends up selling Jesus for... 30 pieces of silver. And that's exactly the amount that a slave was sold for. So Judas attacks Mary. He gets the other disciples going to, but he attacks Mary. But look what he does. He disguises his spiritual attack. What does he disguise it as? Compassion. He disguises his attack under the mask of compassion. We've got to help the poor. And it's true, we should help the poor. We'll talk about that in a minute. We definitely should help the poor. But, but he, he's, he's, it, it's, it's false compassion. It reminds me of today, the pro-choice movement. The pro-choice movement. We want all kids to be wanted. All kids, just, we just want them to be wanted. So their solution is we kill them. What happened to, a, what happened to adoption? I, I'm seeing the same false compassion with the transgender Radical transgender movement. They use these poor, confused children in the name of compassion. We just got to be compassionate, these kids, and, and we should. These kids are struggling and, and have confusion, but, but they're using them in the name of compassion. They're really just pawns. They're using them to undermine common sense and undermine our society and to attack Christianity. And that's what they're using these poor kids that are confused to do. And, and they're using them and, and abusing them, mutilating these kids. It's just horrible what they do. These kids need love. They need someone to help them work through their confusion. They need someone to help them identify with the same-sex parent in a healthy way. They need, they need to, to, the healing so they can realize their, who they, their real purpose and their true God-given gender and true God-given purpose. But they're being used. And how do I know that? Because I've talked to the people using them, and they, they, they've got this whole agenda going. Their real goal is to, to, to attack anything Christian, anything closely to Christian. That's their real goal. It's false compassion. Real compassion is helping these 
children and these people find out who they are in Christ. We have people in our church that struggle with this. Many, you've heard testimonies in our church. They become men of God and women of God through the power of Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit's power. And, and let's remember this too, in this whole battle with the transgender wars, we, we're not happy with what's going on, but let's not forget the real victims. These kids, let's, let's, we've got to separate the, the POWs, the kids and, the, and the, the people that are truly confused and separate. And we don't want to attack them, we want to defend Christian morals and beliefs, but not attack the POWs. We've got to show them the love of Christ. We've got to figure out how to do that as the Church of Jesus Christ. Okay, so false compassion. He disguises this under the mask of compassion, right? But remember this, real worship of Jesus, and Mary experienced this, real worship of Jesus always brings out the hate of those who are under Satan's influence. That's what real worship of Jesus does. It always brings out the hate. Look at the wise men. They want to worship baby Jesus, and look what happens. Herod turns on them and couldn't get them, so he kills all those babies. Nothing new. John, Jesus' baptism. As soon as he gets baptized, what happens? Satan comes after him in the desert. Daniel, praying, what happens? Lion's den. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego won't bow down to the world. And look where they ended up. In the fiery furnace with Jesus standing with them. Worldwide persecution today. We see this worldwide. It's, it's coming to the USA today, but it's all over the world, this persecution of, of, of true Christians and, and, and God's chosen people, the Jewish people, are seeing this worldwide persecution. Why? Because we worship the one true God. His name is Jehovah. That's his only name. And anybody who uses any other name doesn't know the one true God, Jehovah. And we, and we can only get to the one true God through his only, one and only son, Jesus Christ. It's the only way. Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Remember that. Those who claim they're getting to the one true God, but they reject Jesus, it's not the one true God. Jehovah through Jesus Christ. It's the only way. And that's why there's this worldwide persecution. But Jesus always defends. In John chapter 12, we see Jesus defending Mary. In John chapter 12, verses 7 to 8, he says, Leave her alone, Jesus replied. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. Jesus defends her. He says, Leave her alone. He knows her true motives, and he knows their true motives. He says, she's anointing me for my death. It was prophetic. Remember, we talked about Jesus' omniscience and omnipotence. She's doing this for my death. Um, this was the only anointing that the body of Jesus received. Did you realize that? This was the only one. The second anointing that he was going to get, what happened? They showed up at the tomb, and guess what? Nobody. The resurrection happened. This was the only anointing his body ever received. 
And he says, you're not robbing the poor. You'll always be able to minister to them. And we should minister to the poor. We should help the poor. That should be part of our life. That should be part of the church's life. Very, very important. But he says, this opportunity to serve me, this opportunity to serve Jesus, won't come around again. This is the only chance you're going to have. And it's the same today. We need to seize the day. You've heard that saying before many times. Seize the day. It's very important that we seize it. The time to serve Jesus is now. The time to witness to that person that that the Holy Spirit is leading us to witness to is now. The time to show the love of Christ to somebody who's going through a hard time is in their rate God has put them in our path at the time is now. The time to do ministry, to minister to to wherever God has us right now, to, to whether it's around the world or across the street, the time to minister is now. This is the time that God has given us. And it's very important that we, that we keep that perspective Jesus is giving us here. The time is now to seize that day. I remember when I was in Chicago, and it was back when the Chicago Bears were really, really good. And the church I was in, there was this guy named Mark. He was, about, he was a little guy about my size. And he, I'll never forget, he came to church one day and he told us this story during Sunday school. Uh, I remember Sunday school. But he told us this story and he said, I was out driving yesterday. And I was drove by re, the Refrigerator Perry's house. Do you remember Refrigerator Perry, the football player of the Bears? That big, giant guy, you know. He, I drove by his house, and I saw he got a new mailbox, and the other one was sitting out, like, out by the road for the garbage man to take away. He's like, wow, wouldn't it be cool to have Refrigerator Perry's mailbox? But I didn't want to just take it. So, so I went up to his door, <laughs> rang the doorbell, and guess what? There he was. He answered the door. You know, back before you had housekeepers or whatever. I guess I don't. Anyway, refrigerator period. This hulking guy comes up and, and here's this little Mark guy and he says, uh, I, hi, hi, refrigerator. I just noticed that you, uh, your mailbox, you're getting rid of it and I was wondering, could I have that mailbox? And he's like, you know what he's probably thinking? Who's this crazy guy? Sure. Help yourself. Knock yourself out, right? So he takes the mailbox. He puts it in the back of the car. He's so excited. He's got Refrigerator Perry's mailbox. The name was on it, all that. He's all excited. He's going to tell everybody. And he's driving away. And he gets a short distance from it. And he feels his conviction. He said, I felt like God was telling me, why didn't you tell him about Jesus? I mean, you have no problem stopping and asking him for his mailbox. But... Why couldn't you tell him about Jesus if you have that much nerve? <laughs> he turned the car around, <laughs> goes back, <laughs> rings the doorbell, opens up, and there he is again. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And he said, Refrigerator, there's something I wanted to tell you. And he said, I hear I'm getting the mailbox from you, but what, what I really should have been doing is telling you about Jesus. And he starts telling him, gave him the gospel, how Jesus died for him, and, 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 and forgave our sins. And if we would just put our faith in him, you could have a new life in Christ. And do you believe that, Refrigerator Perry? And he didn't know if he just yesed him to get rid of him, this crazy guy, or, or if he really believed it. But he said, yeah, I believe that. Okay, I got gotcha. you. Know, and so Mark gets in the car, drives home, and has a mailbox, and he has peace now, right? But, but he realized he couldn't just drive away. He had, he had his chance. When is he ever going to talk to Refrigerator Perry again? You know, and you remember him diving over the end zone and the Super Bowl, this big giant lineman who gave him the football. And, but that's, that's a, that, I never forgot that story because it's true. We'll talk about the stupidest things with anybody. But, but God gives us the opportunity, praying and looking for the opportunity to share 
Jesus Christ and share the love of Christ and share the gospel? Seizing that day. Are we seizing the day? How is God speaking to us? Are we seizing the day or, or are we a critic? <laughs> are we like the 12 apostles at this time? We all are sometimes, aren't we? Why do we criticize the Marys? Why are there times that we turn into a Judas or one of these critical disciples? Why do we criticize the Marys? I think it's because we realize they have something we don't. They're doing something we're supposed to be doing. They have, they have something, they have this intimacy with God, or they have this connection with God at a certain time that we don't, and we resent it because our hearts, our hearts are hard spiritually or we're in a bad place. Sometimes we're doing great, but other, you ever notice when you're in a bad place, low time spiritually, we get real critical, and we start to rip on people, and, and we, we're, our hearts are hard spiritually, there's love lacking, we're... We're miserable. You know when we're miserable, what do we do? We lash out. Kick the dog, you know, yell at the kids, you know. We lash out when we're in a bad... That's a sign that we're in a bad place. We're in a bad place. I think of the kids, and when the kids... Sometimes one of them will make me a nice picture or a nice card saying how much they love me, and they'll hand it to me, and, and they'll say, I love you, Daddy, I love you, love you, and all this stuff, and it's so nice, and I like it, but one of the other kids or a couple of them might see it happening, and, and guess what they do usually? They tease. They rip on. Oh, there she goes. There he goes. There she goes again, buttering up Dad, you know, blah, 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 you know. Dad, that one's just your favorite. And you know what I say? I say, no, but I'm their favorite. They're showing me that they love me. And, but why, why, why are they jealous? Why? Because, because they re, we resent it, don't we? And when we see that, that someone's really close to God, sometimes it bugs us because we're in a bad place. Are we a critic? Are we a Mary? Are we giving Jesus our best? Or are we just giving Jesus our leftovers? Our leftovers. Have you given him your life? Have you ever surrendered your life and given him your life and put your faith in him? John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. God loved us so much he gave his only Son to die on the cross to take our sin, our punishment, our shame, our blame on himself. In our place, we all deserve to be on that cross. But he took our place, our substitute. He ransomed us. And we can, if we believe in him, the word doesn't just mean in our head, but it means a heart belief. The, the word in Greek is very deep. It means to completely trust in, to cling to. Think of a little baby. You're carrying a little baby, a young child, and they grab you. They're scared. They just cling to you. That's the picture that this word in the Greek really is bringing out. That we believe in Jesus. We're completely trusting in him. Has there been that time in your life where you ask God to forgive your sin and completely trust in what Jesus has done for you, giving your life to him? Like Mary, giving him your very best, giving him our life. As Christians, if you've done that, are we living a surrendered life? Is there something in our life that we need to surrender? Maybe it's a sin, maybe it's a temptation, maybe it's just something that's keeping us from the best that God has, God's best perfect purpose maybe there's something very valuable that we're holding on to that jesus wants us to give to him i'm not one of these word of faith preachers i'm not going to say give it to me 
But maybe he, wa- he wants you to give it to Jesus. There are people being persecuted all over this, all over this world. Killed. Murdered. Raped. Crucified. Burned alive. Read the news. And if you don't get Voice of the Martyrs or Brother Andrew's publications. What's that called? Operation Mental Block. Brother Andrew's Open Door. Thank you. Open Door. Read these stories, but there, there are ways that we could show the love of Christ. We can reach out. Remember, give, whoever gives a cup of water in my name has given it to me. Here we sit with so much that we don't need. And these people are barely hanging on. Brutal conditions. Maybe God would call some of us, all of us, to sell something valuable and give it to the body of Christ just so that they can survive. Just so they know the body of Christ cares about them. Are we worshiping Jesus? Are we worshiping him without caring what anyone thinks about us? When you get up to worship, do you feel, or sit, or stand, or you know, however you feel led to worship. You don't have to do it. You do it whatever you want. Do you just feel like you can worship God and you don't think about what anybody else says? You're just worshiping him? Do you have that freedom? I can raise my hands. I can clap. I can kneel. I can whatever. God, God knows our heart. He knows our heart. He doesn't care if we're singing off key. If you sing off key, who cares? Not saying you should be on the worship team, but, but you should be singing, you know? Should be singing. Should be worshiping. Are we, are we doing that? The Puritans, there was something called the Puritan way. I don't know, know this about the Puritans, but the Puritans, when they worshiped, they, they had a, a style of worship where they didn't care how, what the timing was or the melody or the beat and all the different parts that go into singing. I don't know much of it. But, but they, they, they didn't care. They just sang. So there was somebody up front would lead and the people would sing the, the hymn that they had, but they would all just kind of sing their own speed and their own way and their own melody almost. And, and you can imagine what it must have sounded like. It must have sounded just terrible. Except to God. Because they all sang from the heart. They didn't care what anybody else thought. It's called the Puritan way. The Puritan way. Can you worship God that way? Are we following Jesus no matter what people say? No matter what your family, no matter what your friends, no matter what the society, the kids at school, the teachers, professors, you know, neighbors, people at work. Are we going to follow Jesus no matter what? Going to stay at his feet no matter what? And when we do that, expect criticism. Remember this. When you're serving, maybe you're experiencing that right now. You're, you're getting hit with the criticism. When you're serving, worshiping, showing the, the, the love of Jesus, expect criticism. But don't let that criticism deflate, discourage, detract, distract, because only one opinion matters. Jesus. Who cares what the world thinks? They're not going to be in heaven with us. It's just Jesus. Well done, 
thou good and faithful servant. Don't let the criticism stop you. Even from so-called Christians. Sometimes when I preach and I'm really in the spirit and I'm like, wow, the Holy Spirit's really moving through this powerful passage in scripture and I'll get done and, and, and it's very common for pastors. Someone will criticize. Not, not like, hey, I have a theological question or something important or something you want to wrestle with, but someone will just give you a zinger. They'll just zing you. They're really spiritual attacks. And when I remember when I first was in ministry, they really upset me because I just felt like, wow, God really is speaking and moving and people's hearts were open. And then someone come up and just nailed me on some trivia or didn't like something and just something really dumb, right? It used to upset me, but you know what? Now I realize, it doesn't upset me at all anymore. Now I realize that something's not right spiritually with that person. And, and now I pray for that person and I watch closely and I try to discern because they're usually 99.9% of the time in a bad place spiritually and they're going to implode and I could connect dots people that have imploded spiritually and I remember the first indication was when they came up and they resisted something that was in God's word they resisted something in God's word and they fought back at it and they resisted something that the Spirit was trying to do. And, and sure enough, I've seen their marriages explode or the person get caught in a serious sin. And some of the people that gave me the worst time were in deep, deep bondage. And I was so focused on fighting them that I, I, used to, I now I realize there's some deep bondage there and i got to help them. And I'm telling you this for this reason. As you experience that same thing from people, don't focus on the resistance you're getting or what they're saying, but realize there's something much deeper there that we have to pray for them and try to help them and, and look for that opening that you can do something to help them. And don't focus on the critics. Focus on Jesus. Love and worship him. Just love and worship him. Show your love for Jesus and show the love of Jesus to other people. Don't worry about everybody else, what they're saying. Just keep doing what you're called to do. Let's pray. How is the Holy Spirit speaking to us? Maybe we have been critical. We all do it, don't we? We all have our rough times and dry times when we become critical. Maybe we have a critical spirit right now. How is the Holy Spirit convicting us? Because there's only one way to fix that critical spirit. And that's by spending time at the feet of Jesus. It's by connecting with Jesus. We can't fix it. We can't change it. There's nothing we can do. It's only by spending time with Jesus. Letting the Holy Spirit fill us as we do that. Maybe our prayer this morning is, God, forgive me for the bad place I'm in or have been in. I want to be with Jesus. I want his spirit to fill me. I want that to be what overflows, the love of Christ overflows from me to other people, everybody I talk to and meet and see, especially those closest to me. My family. 
Are we like Mary as we go to this time of prayer? At Jesus' feet, in close relationship, able to hear what Jesus is saying to us through his Holy Spirit. Maybe you're going through a spiritual attacks because of your, your commitment to Jesus. Maybe it's your enemies that are attacking. Maybe it's your friends. Maybe it's your family. And our prayer today is, Jesus, let me keep my eyes on you. Let me stay close to you. Maybe we're here today and God is calling us to sacrifice something. Maybe a year's wages. Maybe the wages of a lifetime. He's calling us to give something to him. To the body of Christ. To those who are being persecuted around the world. Maybe he's calling you to give you give your life. Maybe God is calling you to give your life to him. Surrendering your life. Maybe it's the calling on your life where you will maybe you'll shift gears and go a whole different direction with your life. Maybe it's dedicating your life. You sense God's spirit leading you into missions or ministry. Or across the road. It doesn't have to be around the world. Across the road. But maybe you're here today and you're not a Christian yet. And this is what I want to end this prayer with. That the starting point is giving your life to Jesus. Putting your faith in him. And maybe that's what the Holy Spirit is calling you to do today. Right where you're sitting. Right where you are today, right the way you came in today is not the way that you can go out because the Holy Spirit is calling. Will you give your life to Jesus? Just say, God, I ask you to forgive my sin, the wrong I've done everything in my life that goes against your will. I repent of that. I turn away from that old life and I ask you to forgive me. I'm putting my faith in your son Jesus. His death on the cross for me His resurrection from the dead for me. I'm putting my faith in Jesus. I give my life to him. If you have prayed that prayer, then something powerful has happened to you.
I know because it's happened to me. It's happened to many of us. You have been forgiven. You have become a new person in Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit is now living inside of you. And just wait. You're going to know it. Because your life can never be the same again. I want to encourage you to let somebody know. Whether you have a friend or family member here. Or whether you tell me on the way out. Or you fill out the card in the bulletin. Stick it in the box or text or call. Let somebody know. So that we can be excited for you and encourage you in your new life in Christ. Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit would continue what he's starting in our hearts from this passage of Scripture, from the words of Christ here. Pray that we would not just walk out and forget it, but we would just be in your spirit and at the feet of Jesus. And your Holy Spirit would bring to completion what he's starting in our hearts now. We pray that in Jesus' name, amen.